Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Peter. We're going to finish chapter 3 and start chapter 4 today. I want to talk to you about the mindset of a follower of Christ. Okay, When you are a follower of Jesus, just like an athlete has a mindset when they approach the competition, just like a student has a mindset when they take a test, you and I as followers of Christ need to have a certain mindset. And I want us to think about what that is like. You know, um, a few years ago, a famous philanthropist, I cannot say that word. I did not test this. Philanthropist, how do you say that? Philanthropist. (laughs) Who knew, right? Thank you. You know, it looked great, and then you can't say it. What do you do? But anyway, his name was Sir John Templeton. I'll work on that. I'll have to try that again sometime. And uh, he posed the question, how can we get 6 billion people around the world to practice gratitude? Uh, In 2008, he died. His daughter-in-law was going through his belongings and found this letter in his archives. It was uh, in a family Christmas card that he mailed out in 1962. Instead of talking about the accomplishments of his kids or highlighting the vacation that they took as a family, he took this letter as an occasion to encourage his readers to think of the mind as a garden and themselves as responsible for tending it. Here is what it said. It says, if you exercise no control, it will become a weed patch and a source of shame and misery. If you exercise wise control, then it will be filled with God's miracles and become a place of indescribable beauty. You are free to choose which. How can you do it? Simply, for example, develop a habit of looking at each thought as you would a plant. If it is worthy, if it fits the plan you desire for your mind, cultivate it. If not, replace it. And how do you get it out of your mind? simply by putting in its place two or three thoughts of love or worship, for no mind can dwell on more than two or three thoughts at a time. Circumstances outside the garden of your mind do not shape you. You shape them. For example, if you expect trouble, allowing those thoughts to dwell in your mind, you will get it. If you fill your mind with thoughts of love, you will get love and get it. If you think little of God, He will be far from you. If you think often of God, the Holy Spirit will dwell more in you. The glory of the universe is open to every person. Some look and see, some look and don't see. Gardens are not made in a day. God gave you one lifetime for the job. Control of your garden or your mind grows with practice and study of the wisdom other minds have bequeathed to you. He who produces an item of unique beauty in his garden or his mind may have a duty to give that seed to others. And as your body is the dwelling place of your mind, so is your mind the dwelling place of your soul. The mind you develop is your dwelling place for all your days on earth. And you should develop on earth uh, so that you're prepared for eternity. God has given you the choice. I like that because it's a little poetic, but he's basically saying your mind is like a garden. 
How are you keeping it? How are you tending it? How are you cultivating it? In other words, you and I need to have a certain mindset. Now, the question is, what kind of mindset are you cultivating? And what kind of mindset is necessary to follow Jesus Christ? Because think about it, we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. Which means sometimes God will speak to us or lead us to do something, and it doesn't make sense based on what we see. But we're living by faith and not by sight. So it requires a certain mindset. Now before we get to 1 Peter 3, I want to back up and show you a couple of different verses that Peter has written to give you sort of a bigger picture concept here or context. In 1 Peter 1, verse 13, the way Peter begins this letter, he says in 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore, he was talking about our great salvation, okay? So in light of our great salvation that we have, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, translation, in light of our great salvation, how God loved us, He sent His Son to die on the cross for us, and now we have been born again, we have been bought by His blood, and we now are saved, we should have our minds ready for action. We should have a mindset where we set our hope on this wonderful future that you and I are going to experience when Jesus Christ comes again. Now, look, if you will, after 1 Peter is 2 Peter. Peter wrote two letters. And I want you to look towards the end of 2 Peter because he leads out with this thought in his first letter and he goes back to it again at the end of his second letter. In 2 Peter 3, verse 1, he says, Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you can recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given to your apostles. And it goes on. So what is Peter saying here? He says, I've written to you twice. And what am I trying to do? I'm wanting to stir up your understanding and remind you of some things that you've already heard, that you already know. But why is he doing that? He wants them to make sure they have the right mindset as a follower of Jesus. Because let's be honest, we can sit here and go, well, I understand that. That's not difficult. But what happens tomorrow morning when you go to work and somebody says, it's Monday, that's a mindset. Think about it. What happens the middle of this week and you get a phone call from the doctor or you get some bad news and all of a sudden you start worrying about it? That's a mindset. You see what I mean? And so when it comes to living the Christian life, each and every day we need to make sure that we have the right mindset. It's understanding what we already know and setting our hope on this glorious future that God has promised us. And we make sure that no fear, no worry, no dread, no problems, no change of circumstances or plans rattles our mindset because we know that we're trusting God. We're living by faith, not by sight. He's in control. And we know that one day when He comes, it's going to be good. It's going to be glorious. 
So we need to have the right mindset as a follower of Jesus. Now, let's put this in perspective for a minute. If anybody has the right to talk about this topic or issue, it's Peter. Why do I say that? Because Peter was one of the twelve that Jesus called to follow him. Peter was the leader of the twelve because when Jesus asked a question and nobody was willing to say anything, good old Peter, he would always speak up and he would say what everybody's thinking or he would say what God had shown him and they'd be like, wow. You know, when when, uh, Jesus was asking his disciples, what are people saying about me? They all kind of pitched in and said, well, we're hearing this and we're hearing that. And then, we said, then when he said, he looked at him, he said, who do you say I am? Everybody got real quiet. And then Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And then Jesus says, Peter, my father in heaven has revealed that to you. And then in the very next breath, you know, Jesus is talking about how he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over to, uh, to men and he's going to be, you know, you know, killed and on the third day he'll rise again and Peter's like oh no Lord that's not going to happen so that same Peter that will speak up and say what you know people were thinking and say what God is showing him sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth and we know that ultimately Peter he denied Jesus three times three times and yet what happened after the resurrection Jesus asked him three times do you love me do you love me do you love me Jesus restored Peter to fellowship and to service. And so Peter, of all people, knows that it's all about the mindset. You've got to have the right mindset when it comes to trusting and following Jesus. As new things happen, as new information comes, you've still got to maintain a a posture that says, I love God, I'm going to trust God. And even though I don't understand what's going on, I don't understand why this is happening, I'm going to trust and follow Jesus. Well, today I want to talk to you about uh, what God's Word says in 1 Peter, beginning in chapter 3, what is required for us to have a Christian mindset. The first thing that's required for you and I to have a Christian mindset is to be ready to answer. Ready to answer. Look, if you will, there. In uh, 1 Peter 3, we're going to go back to verse 15. It says, In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. I love that because here Peter asked a question in verse 13. Who will harm you if you're doing what is good? Who, who, who's going who's to hurt you if you're trying to do the right thing? That is a rhetorical question. But the sad reality is that if you try to live a righteous, good, holy, Christ-like life, you're going to make some waves. You know, when you read Hebrews 11 and it talks about by faith Noah and holy fear built an ark, and he condemned the world. Now, how did he condemn the world? He wasn't agging him on. He, he, he was moved by his faith to respond to God's word and build this ark and warn people of coming certain judgment. And by his actions, not his words, by his actions, 
He condemned the world. Why? When you and I try to live the right, right way, it makes waves in this world. We, we, uh, we're not trying to make anybody feel bad, but we stand out when everybody else blends in. When we are following Christ, we are walking in holiness, yet we live in a fallen world. The light shines in the darkness. And even though we may not be trying to toot our own horn, we will get noticed because we have the life of God and the light of God in our lives. And by our very actions, by our very lifestyle, we demonstrate that we're different because we know Jesus. And people around you will notice. Okay, When I worked in the marketplace and I knew I was a pastor and I'm walking down the hall, they're telling a good joke and oh, here comes the preacher. And so, you know, I, I prayed about that for a while, Devin. I'm like, you know, I'm a preacher, but, you know, this ain't about me. It's about God, right? And so I'd walk by and go, hey, man, God sees us all the time. Keep on rolling. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to answer to me. You're going to have to answer to God. But here's the thing. As a Christian, our mindset requires us to be ready to answer to the world why we have hope. That's what Peter's talking about here. He knows that if you do what's right, if you follow Christ, you're going to stand out in this fallen world. And people are going to wonder why you always try to do the right thing. They're going to wonder why you love people the way you do, why you forgive people the way you do, why you you know, avoid certain things, why you do certain godly things. They're going to look at your life and go, you're different. Why are you different? And when they uh, observe your life and they're curious enough to ask, he says, Peter does, make sure that Christ is Lord of your heart and be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. We, as children of God, need to be ready to give an answer for the reason why we have hope in our life. You know, let me just say this. An example would be Paul. Uh, Paul would agree with Peter here in Acts 23, verse 1. It says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and he said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. Remember Peter said, when you give this uh, defense of your hope, when you give the, the reason for your hope, he says, do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, they'll see your good conduct and not be uh, put to shame. In other words, people will say things about you. You know, oh, you're a holy roller, or you're this, you're a Bible thumper, or oh, you're, you're a Christian, you're all these things. They will, they will say things to you. That's what Peter says. He says they'll say, but when you respond, don't lash out in kind. Simply be gentle and show respect and keep a clear conscience. Paul would say he did that. He kept a clear conscience. Uh, before God. Now, let me uh, say this. If we're called to give an answer, that doesn't mean you have to be an expert. I really do believe that one reason why a lot of people don't actively share their faith is they're afraid as soon as they try to, to share their faith, they're going to be like me trying to say what? Philanthropist. I'm working on it. I'm not there yet, right? So you get the idea. It's like, oh my goodness, that's so embarrassing. And so, you know, we, we, we want to look like we know what we're talking about. We want to be able to give an answer if somebody asks a question. 
But, you know, sometimes people have been thinking for a long time and they've got some good questions. They've got some tough questions. And here's the thing I want you to remember. The Bible never told us to be an expert. The Bible tells us to be a witness. What is a witness? A witness is somebody uh, in, in a court of law that simply tells everyone what they've seen and what they've heard. Hey, I was there. This is what happened. As a child of God, as a Christian, when we witness, we're telling someone else what God has done in our life. We're speaking from experience, not expertise. You know, when the blind man that Jesus healed was called before the Pharisees and they questioned him, finally he says, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's a witness. That's someone speaking from experience. He's saying, look, Y'all can ask me ten more times what Jesus did. Y'all can analyze what He did and if there was a certain method to the miracle. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. That is a testimony. That is a witness saying, here's what happened to me. And no one can argue with a changed life. That's why Acts 1.8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Well, a Christian mindset requires us not only to be ready to give an answer, but also ready to suffer. Now, this one is not something we want to talk about, but in 1 Peter 3.17, he lays down a principle, a truth. He says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You know, and I can't help but think of Jesus on the cross between two thieves. The two men that were on His left and His right that were on the cross, they were there because they deserved it. They were criminals. They had been caught as thieves, and the penalty of the law was death. They were getting what they deserved. But Jesus, He went about teaching and preaching and healing and sharing God's Word with other people people and he never sinned. The Bible says that he was tempted like we are and yet he never sinned. He didn't do anything wrong. Uh, They couldn't even get him for rebellion when they tried to trick him and bring him a coin and they said, shall we pay taxes to Caesar? You know, uh, like a politically loaded question. And if he says it one way, he's in trouble. And if he says it the other way, he's in trouble. And he saw through their pretense and he says, give me a coin. And he says, whose image is on the coin? And they said, Caesar. And then he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar. And render to God what is God's. Why do I say this? Because you and I are created in the image of God. So give the money to who it belongs to. Give yourself to who it belongs to. And that is God. And so you and I need to realize it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will, than for doing evil. And then he expounds on that in verse 18. He says, look at Jesus. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which He also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, 
a few, that is eight people, remember Noah, his wife, his kids and their wives, eight people were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, a type or antitype, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. You know, when I was studying this this week, sometimes it's really hard to just preach because when you preach, you want to give people the handles in Scripture. You want to give them the main idea and the applications. When you teach, you get down into the weeds. Why is this and why is that? And just dig, 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 dig. And sometimes it's hard to sort of shift gears. Uh, This is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. A lot of people have some different ideas about it. I even read where one of the... Um, one of the reformers, Martin Luther, said, I don't even understand it. So when I was looking at this, I was like, wow. But what I want you to see here, I like what I. Howard Marshall said. He says, we see Peter uh, aim to present Christ as an example of suffering for doing good, to show how his death brings believers to God, to stress the fact that though Christ died, he was brought to life, just as we will be as believers to emphasize how Christ proclaimed His triumph to the spirits who corrupted the people of Noah's time and to stress that Christ now, enthroned alongside God, is superior to all supernatural powers. As a result, Christians can confidently stand up to hostility and bear courageous witness, knowing that they'll be vindicated just as Christ was. And I think that's well said. So go back and look at this again. Let's look at it first through the eyes of Christ. Christ suffered. And He told us, we will too. Okay, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Okay, No student is above his teacher. No servant is above his master. So if they treated our Lord and Savior this way, don't be shocked when we are, are living a holy life in a fallen world that we're going to rub people the wrong way even when we're not trying to. And so here is Jesus. He suffered. He suffered for our sins. He did it once for all. I love that. The righteous for the unrighteous. He did this to bring us to God. He was put to death according to the flesh. They buried Him in a tomb. But on the third day, He rose again. He was made alive by the Spirit. And somewhere in there, some people say, It was between His uh, death and His resurrection. Others say it was after His resurrection. But at any rate, somewhere in there, He went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Uh, I believe this also is expounded in verse 22 when it talks about angels, authorities, and powers. So here's what I think happened. When Jesus rose from the dead... He went to the spirits that were active in the world in the days of Noah, that were leading the world in a, in a sinful path. That's why it was so bad that God said, I've got to take the flood and, and start over. And He went to these spirits that were in prison, and He didn't preach to them like I'm preaching to you, but He made a proclamation that death has been defeated. He, he made a proclamation that sin has been atoned for. He made a proclamation that He came, He lived, He died, He buried, and He was rose again, and He was now ascending to the Father, and now He will hold the keys to death and Hades. He, he made a proclamation that now He is the judge of the living and the dead. It was a victory 
proclamation. And as a result, Peter begins to think about that day and that time, about God in the days of Noah and the ark and how he sent judgment. And he says that they were saved through water. The water destroyed the world, but because they were in the ark, they were saved. And then he says, you know, that corresponds to you and I when it comes to baptism. Now, some people think this teaches that you have to be baptized to be saved. Peter is aware of how this comes across and how it sounds. And that's why he says, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. In other words, we're not talking about how you got to get a bath to be saved. Okay, We're not cleansed by the water. We're cleansed by the blood. We sing about it a while ago. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We come to the foot of a bloodstained cross. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But here baptism corresponds to this, he says. And he says, this saves you through what? Through the resurrection. See, the reason why the picture of baptism is important is because of what it represents. He is speaking figuratively here. That's why he says uh, in in this uh, uh, baptism, which corresponds to this, he goes from one scene in the Old Testament to now a different scene in the New Testament. And he says this corresponds. This is like a type or an antitype. If you study it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And so here, baptism is a picture of what? It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what saves us? Well, the death of Jesus does save us. But Paul in Romans 5 said, if we're saved by His death, how much more are we saved by His life? Yes, we're saved by the death of Jesus because He came and He died on that cross to purchase our salvation with His own blood. But we're even more saved by His life because He's not dead anymore. He lives forevermore. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God who has risen from the dead, who has ascended to heaven, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it's because of the resurrection. So look at the picture of baptism of what it points to, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then it goes back in verse 22 and ties it all together with Christ that he introduced in verse 18. Christ has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. Now, before we get lost in the weeds, here's the big point, and that's what I want to focus on. The big point is Christ suffered. He suffered. He suffered for me, and He suffered for you. And He was faithful to the Father. He did what was right even though He wasn't treated right. And as a result, when it was all said and done, He was vindicated by His resurrection, by His ascension, and by Him sitting at the right hand of the Father with all of these angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. And if Christ, who suffered, and we're now following in His steps, if you and I will do what is right even when we're not treated right, the day will come when you and I will be vindicated because we're faithful to the God we serve. We love to see that in this life, don't we? But many times it will happen in the life to come. For the men that stood up to Nebuchadnezzar, 
of the king and said, we won't bow to this golden statue. They were thrown into the fire. And that very day, there was a fourth man in the fire, a son of the gods. That's what the Bible says. And the king told them to come out. And they came out and not even a hair on their head was singed. Not even the stench of smoke was in their clothes. There's no logical, natural explanation for that. It had to be God. God vindicated them that day right in the very moment when it happened. But that doesn't always happen. Many times it's going to come at the end when Christ comes back. I'm reminded of Psalm 110 verse 1. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And all things are subject to Him. And one of these days, we'll see that in our experience. The big idea here is this. Peter alludes to Christ. He alludes to Noah. He alludes to baptism and a good conscience. And he's wanting to encourage us that no matter what trials come our way, he wants us to be reminded that there's victory over present suffering. And he teaches that after Christ's suffering and death, Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now all powers are subject to Him, and He triumphed. And Peter's saying, you're on the winning team. Keep a good conscience before God. Keep doing what's right, and leave the consequences to Him. In 1 Peter 4, let's look at the first four verses, and we'll wrap this up. It says, therefore, since Christ, keep in mind this is more about Christ than it is Noah or baptism or me or you. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, talking about the mindset. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. Flood, kind of a throwback to the days of Noah. He says they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. Makes us go back to grade school, right? When you tried to do the right thing and somebody said, ah, what are you trying to do? You know? I mean, it sounds that silly sometimes. But when we live in a fallen world and we try to do what's right, we are going to be slandered and accused even when we're not looking for a fight, even when we're not even being critical of other people. The fact that we have the life and light of God in our lives it makes waves because it shines light in the darkness. And the darkness doesn't like it. And so you and I need to realize, as a Christian, our mindset must be ready to give an answer and ready to suffer. And the third and final thing a Christian mindset requires is to be ready for judgment. Ready for judgment. Look at verse 5 and 6 of chapter 4. Peter reminds us that these People of the world that are living for themselves, following the flesh, doing all these things that they do. He says they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living 
and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standards. You know, there were people that already had died at this point, but they had heard the gospel. Perhaps it had changed their life. Some had heard the gospel and they rejected it, and now there's no more opportunity. You and I, if we're going to have a Christian mindset, we've got to be ready for judgment day. We've got to be ready to meet our Maker. That's why the Bible says it's been appointed once for man to die, and after that, the judgment. Did you notice that it says it's been appointed? Did you know that you have an appointment and that you will keep it? Now, there's some appointments we make that we don't like. You know, we've got to make that doctor's appointment. We've got to go see this person or that person. But I want to tell you that every person has an appointment with death. Every person. And every person will one day, someday, whenever it comes, stand before God on Judgment Day. It's an appointment that you and I will keep. No matter what's going on, I promise you, we will all be there. And nobody will be late. We'll all be there. And so when it comes to living this Christian life, it's my prayer today that you and I will have the right mindset. That we'll learn from the failures and the successes of Peter who followed Jesus enough to step out of the boat and walk on water. The one who said, Lord, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Peter teaches us a lot. He says, you've got to have the right mindset. I've written you two letters to stir up your understanding. I want you to have the right mindset that when you live a Christian life in this fallen world, you've got to be ready to give people an answer for the reason why you have hope. You've got to be ready to suffer. Don't whine and complain, I can't believe this is happening. Why are they picking on me? You know, what does light and darkness have to do with each other? What does righteousness and wickedness have to do with each other? Does oil and water mix? No, I don't think so. And so you and I have got to be ready to suffer for Christ. If that is God's will, then you and I have to be ready and willing to do it. And then most of all, we've got to be ready for judgment. Just like the kids, once they knew that it was a limited amount of time. I love one of the boys down here. I think it was Titus Tyler. He was locked in. He had his hand in the cooler and he, he had his eyes locked in on that stopwatch of Danny. And he was hanging in there until it was finally over. You know what? We don't know when Jesus is coming back. But I do know this. It's one day closer now than it was yesterday. And you and I need to be ready. We need to be ready for when He comes. You know, today you've heard this message and maybe you don't know Jesus. And the most important thing I want you to get from this is there is a day coming. It's been appointed by God where He will judge every man, the living and the dead. And it's an appointment that you will keep. No matter what you think, you will be there. And you'll be there on time. And I just simply want to say, are you prepared for that day when you meet your Maker face to face? Will you be able to say, I heard the Word of God and I had opportunities, but I just didn't listen. I just put it off and I put it off and I never took the time. Well, it's my prayer today that you won't let that happen. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. 
Maybe God is speaking to you today, and now for the very first time, you need to say yes to Jesus Christ. And then, you need to tell somebody about it. You know, that's what baptism is for. Uh, baptism shows that you have a good conscience. What do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean by that is this. Baptism is when you go public with your faith. You know, we are to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching uh, others to obey everything He's commanded us. Well, the very first thing He tells us to do once we receive Christ into our life is to be baptized, okay? In the uh, New Testament, I don't believe they necessarily gave an altar call. What they did is they said, believe and be baptized, because the baptism part was the altar call. It was equivalent to walking down an aisle and telling people, hey, I'm going public with my faith. Maybe today your first step is, I need to be saved. Maybe you have been saved and you've never been baptized. You need to go public with your faith. And if you've already done those things, then you just need to say, God, give me the mindset to where I'm ready to give a reason for the hope that I have. I'm ready to suffer if that's what God's will is for my life. And I'm ready to face the judgment. Let's all stand. As musicians come and play softly, I just want to talk to you for a moment. And I want to just encourage you this day that if God is speaking to you right now, I want you to listen to Him. Maybe this is your first time to ever say, Lord, I need You in my life. I need You. And I want to lead you in prayer because it all starts with prayer. Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God is speaking to you right now. You need to respond to Him. And you need to pray and you need to ask Him to do something like this. Say, God... I know I'm a sinner. I have sinned against you. I've broken your law. I don't obey your word. But Lord, I believe you sent Jesus. And I believe that he died on that cross and he rose again. And I believe he is the son of God. And I believe he is willing and able to save me. And I love that prayer in the Bible that Jesus shared about the Pharisee and the publican went to the synagogue. To put it in our terms, they went to church. And one prayed this way and one prayed that way. One man said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he went home changed. Maybe right now you just need to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you pray that prayer and you mean it, God can change your life. You recognize that he's God and you're not. You recognize that you're a sinner and you're asking God for mercy because he's the only one that can give it. So I want to encourage you right now, if God is speaking to you, if you've never asked Him to come in your life, if you've never turned from your sins and trusted Jesus, won't you do that right now as we pray? Father, I pray right now, if there's someone that is on the brink of just simply trusting and believing and following You, Lord, I pray that they would come to You and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know You're God. Lord, I know I've sinned and I'm asking for your mercy. I'm asking, Father, for you to save me. Father, I pray that you would answer that prayer right now. Father, have your will and your way in this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to come and let me know. 
I want to be able to pray for you. I want to be able to encourage you. And I just want to share the joy that you have made a decision for Jesus Christ. We're fixing to sing a hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. This altar is open if you want to pray. Whatever God's leading you to do, won't you come as we sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.